In this episode of High Shelf Gaming, Heather returns to talk with Rich and I about fantasy role-playing systems. We, we kind of take the position that D&D 5th Edition is the center point, and then we talk about all of the other fantasy role-playing systems around 5th Edition and why a group of players and DMs may want to branch out and explore some of these other systems that are out there. It's a great, fun conversation, and we kind of get the sense that Rich is unpromptable, unguidable. He uh, has his own path in this discussion. It's a lot of fun. You are listening to High Shelf Gaming. This is a show where we talk about board games and role-playing games and gaming conventions. If this is what you're looking for, please keep listening. You can always find us on our website, Facebook group, Facebook page. We're on Twitter and Twitch and Discord, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to join the community, and we look forward to meeting you. Quick reminder, we are doing a giveaway. I've got a 3D printed monster, a gray render, super interesting creature and kind of hard to come by, honestly. In order to enter into win, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Once we get to 20 reviews, we're going to roll a die and see who wins. Hey everyone, David Gillespie here again with another episode of High Shelf Gaming. Uh, This week my voice is a little far gone because of New Year's Eve, which was awesome. As always, I am joined by the fortified Rich Wisniewski. You know, I am completely fortified, charged up and ready because, um, you know, obviously New Year's Eve, Dave, you gotta be like a pro. The only thing I get after my night out is is that that sparkly makeup all over me. <laughs> like you're in Twilight? <laughs> that's right. I don't have to yell. So that's, there you go, brother. That's right. Yeah, you yes, I'm feeling very it. strong. I'm feeling very, you know, just full of life today. Sorry to hear that you're running a little rough there, bud. It's all good. It's all good. And joining us again, uh, welcome back, Heather, joining us uh, for the fourth or fifth time. I'm not sure. I've lost count. Team Edward or Team, um, I don't know who, Jacob. Yeah, the other loser. (laughs) It's Team Edward and nearly that's it. Heather, what are you? Team Edward or Team Jacob? Team Lestat. Oh, look at her changing on me. (laughs) I'm an Anne Rice fan from way back when I was in the high school school goth. Yeah. See, and I can't, with you being an Anne Rice fan, I cannot believe you haven't played a lot of White Wolf. Like that it is, wasn't the thing, dude. I know I it wasn't up, the thing. I, I know it wasn't. Very, I barely got D&D under my, <laughs> under my plate, man. No, I get it. I get it. It's just your, your, your background is built for it. You're like, you're I know, like right? ready to go. <laughs> right. Okay. But today, uh, Heather, what are we talking about? Uh, let's talk about the complexity of RPGs, especially in like the fantasy realm. We got a lot of different RPGs out there. D&D, Pathfinder, what makes them different? Are they how are they more complex depending on which game you're you want to play? Yeah, and I really like having this conversation right now mm-hmm. because fifth edition has been around for a couple of years. There's a ton of great examples of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pathfinder is looking at becoming Pathfinder 2e. They've got the beta out right now. I've played a bunch of that. And then of course, there's all of the legacy or still amazing, like fantasy settings and systems mm-hmm. that are out there that are, you know, great in their own way. For all the people who have been watching tons of, you know, games online and they say, awesome, I want to get into D&D, they play a couple of D&D, couple of D&D games, two years worth of that, 
they might be looking to branch out. Yes. But where do they go? There's all these different games to look at. Is kind of how I see it. Agreed. Yeah, there's uh, and there's so many different things within just the fantasy realm um, without even talking about the other genres. Yeah. Um, and there is D20 systems and D6 systems, D10 systems, um, and even, you know, diceless systems, things like that. So oh, yeah. there's many different directions to go. I think I'd like to save Diceless for the very end. Oh, come on. Just, be, just because, <laughs> I mean, no, it's I one of those things that, like, you got to really want it. <laughs> is, that LARP, is that LARPing? No. Well, no. actually, yeah. LARP, LARPing mm-hmm. does a Rochambeau, paper, rock, scissors. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. But, um, mm-hmm. like, Amber... Is a diceless? All right, let's just go. Let's just cover diceless right away. See, you I can... haven't. I know of it, but I haven't played any. Oh, but I know yeah, I've okay. heard Amber. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So Amber is probably the most popular diceless system out there, mm-hmm. and the idea is it's just a big yes and fest. Mm-hmm. It's okay. it's all you still have a GM, and you have a bunch of players, and there's no dice. It's just straight up arbitration. A player mm-hmm. says, yep, I'm going to draw my sword and cut the guy. And the DM says, okay, great. You draw your sword and you go to cut him and, you know, they block it. Or, yeah, you cut him and then this thing happens and then that thing happens. And then... Oh, they would kick me mm-hmm. out of this shit in a minute. Because I would be like, you draw your sword and cut your hand off. Sorry, bro. Next! Well, And I would just cycle through these players and just totally make their lives hell. Yeah. And they would be like... Yeah. The official Amber Society has issued a rich alert. You can no longer <laughs> join our games. No, yeah, rich is, no more rich. Is, yeah, rich is, is persona non grata. With Amber and games like Amber, they're diceless. They end up being almost completely political. Political with puzzles, a little bit of combat. Mm-hmm. Because big, complex combat, eh, you start to want the dice. You yeah. know, you start mm-hmm. to want to have a system. And there really isn't, like, I think there are numbers on a page, and you mm-hmm. either win or you lose, but the Amber games I played, we never did that. It was always political intrigue, investigation, trying to find lost family members, stuff like that. We, I don't think we got into one fight. And that was just, that's just part of the deal with Diceless Games. One yeah, of the right. ones that comes to mind, it still has a mechanic. It's not Dice, but it still has a mechanic. Uh, dread. Oh, yeah. uh, which can lean, it's horror, but can lean fantasy with dread. You, um, when there's pivotal story moments, you have to pull a block from a Jenga tower. And if you crash the tower, something horrible happens to you. That's a good example of just, that's a yes. And a very interesting, interesting game. Yeah. And if, mm-hmm. and if you're not up on like what yes. And is, is like oh. a concept, the mm-hmm. idea here, cause I've said it a bunch and, and probably need to stick a step back. Yes. And is the idea that, I, as a player, say, I want to do something. And Rich, you as a DM, say, yes, that happens. And these other things also occur. And, you and just... your foot fell off. I don't know why. <laughs> you got no foot now, bro. And then get I would to hobbling. Say, and I would say, all right, well, now that I have no foot, I'm going to run with that and mm-hmm. say, cool, my character fashions some sort of peg leg. Right. That's right. And, and, and by the way, you can now check for traps a lot better. <laughs> With my peg leg. Right? With, no, no. You just throw the foot down the hallway. <laughs> and if the trap's set off or not. I mean, you got it covered, bro. That sounds how like we played True Dungeon last year. Wait That's a second. Right. Um, but yes, and is also used. It's an uh, improv technique um, where you don't want to uh, 
make everything flat by saying no and killing the scene. So DMs will yes and when a player wants to do something instead of just squashing their hopes and dreams. Mm. In this regard, Rich, in this regard, mm. not just killing them outright. <laughs> um, squashing so much more uh, fun than killing them because you can just watch them die inside. <laughs> Slash R slash people die inside. Their characters are still alive, but their yeah. characters' hopes and dreams are crushed. Yes. And yeah. make sure that you sign up to play uh, AD&D at Gen Con with right. Rich. <laughs> Actually, they crushed my hopes and dreams last year. But, you know, speaking of Gen Con and this, this reminds me of playing Nascrag. So what? they have this thing at Gen Con that they call Nascrag. And when um, Andrew would come a lot, I think maybe you met Drew one time. Yep. Uh, but he hasn't been there a lot because it seems to be there. So there's like some family stuff that happens right at Gen Con. And and dude, seriously, you got to pick your family. Anyways, an ass crag, they get together at Gen Con and they run this multi-round tournament. Now, we use dice when you play, but you're being judged on your role-playing ability. And you're being judged on your goals versus your team goals. So the dice is really kind of immaterial on moving on to the next round. Mm. Playing the role playing well, having a great time. Have, you know, it's usually about a lot of humor, you know, and, and those deals. So maybe I have gotten close to playing a diceless game because yeah. that had dice in it, but they were very just part of, well, we got to figure some out, roll some dice. It was more of how we were all working together and how you were role playing. And again, they put you in a lot of situations where you had to use words instead of sticks, which coming from an AD&D kind of guy, that's, you know, that's a little harder, a little yeah. more challenging. Yeah. I, and you end up with a lot of uh, story-based or role-playing-based games. When you go to lightweight system where there's no dice or very few dice, mm-hmm. almost all of those fall into the realm of this is a story game. There's less combat because we're more interested in character interplay and a political intrigue and, and that sort of thing is at least what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really uh, fitting the, how you want to tell your story to the DM to you as a DM and your players. So if you want more less roles and more of that story esque going diceless might be an option. Um, but if you want to do a ton of combat and, kill your players then older versions of dungeons and dragons are just you know right there for you at all times huh rich yes <laughs> I, I tell you I, I it's funny that we talk about this a little more i think i maybe even brought up doctor who and what i enjoyed about it was people being creative and exploring mm-hmm. more when we reviewed that from alcon last year mm-hmm. i bet you you could throw the dice out if you played like a real nice GM, you know, a normal guy, mm-hmm. you could just throw the dice out and use st- and use you know story points, plot points, yep. to mm-hmm. uh, kind of get things to happen that were extraordinary or to get a clue, and you could just talk through the whole thing verbatim. Wow, I may have to check one of these out, Dave. Well, yeah, and maybe. to kick it back to one of the episodes I have been on before, we talked about Shadowrun. And Dave had a whole system for Always about doing Shadow the run. run. Dear Every listener, day. if you knew how many times I had to hear about Shadowrun. Hey, Rich, just texting you about Shadowrun. I'm sorry. Go on, Heather. No, ev- every day. I keep trying to get you to come play your cyborg elf, and you won't come. Like uh, you're, you're afraid to lose your cyborg elf. I, I know. Exactly. I don't want I know to. It. Yeah, so like talking about that, like mm-hmm. I think Shadowrun is a perfect example of of one of the branches that players go. They play D&D, 
And then they go, all right, well, I have a player out there that wants to play sci-fi, but have other players that don't want to give up the fantasy aspect. Mm-hmm. Well, Shadowrun lets you have it all. You can have orcs and trolls and, and elves and dwarves, but rail guns and sniper rifles and magic and cops and yeah. all that stuff all in one place. Is it, I kind of get the impression like the times that I've played it, it is more complicated than D&D because it's just doing more stuff. Absolutely. It runs on a different system. So if you're jumping from D&D or Pathfinder, it goes to a D6 system instead of D20. It's a dice pool system. It has to have rules for how spells work, but it also has to have rules for how guns hurt you. And all sorts of things. So you're rolling a lot more. And it's just because it's so broad, there's a lot of complicated rules. Will you real quick talk about dice pool, just so folks know when we say it's a dice pool system, what that means? Sure. So a dice pool is something where you'll, you have an ability and you have a skill, and those two things together will make up a dice pool. In Shadowrun, for example, if you are a driver, you will um, have a pilot skill, and you will use your reaction as the ability. And so if you have a four reaction and a three for piloting, you will roll seven dice. 76s. Yeah, and then it's um and then you're trying to hit a number. So Correct. all the dice that that hit the target number or above, I think it's like 5. Yeah, and so in four. Shadowrun it's um on you roll your pool of dice, you count any 5s or 6s that you get on the dice. Yep. Um and then those are count those count as successes or hits. The uh DM makes up or GM makes up a number for you to hit uh, as a difficulty. And then if you get that many hits, you probably succeed. Running D6 systems you or pull systems, you normally have a option to fail or in Shadowrun it's called glitch and then or critical glitch, which is like a uh, critical fail in uh, D&D. What I like about it is players like rolling lots of dice. Yes. And mm-hmm. so as their character gets better, the number of dice they're going to roll is higher. And so they've got these big fistfuls of D6s and they're like, shark, 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 shark. And they throw them, makes this big clatter. And then they, you know, count up their victories. They say, okay, I made five victories. I was like, oh, wow, that's mm-hmm. an exceptional success. You, you know, not only do you hit the guy, but you hit him in a critical location or something along those lines. Like there's, there's some extra joy that comes with uh, kind of a dice pool system. You cut his leg off and now have three legs so you can search for traps. <laughs> that's right. You get another leg you can throw down the hall. Um, but yeah, Shadowrun comes with this extra bit where because you have magic and tech, and now in the later editions, characters that fuse mag- magic and tech, because in yes. the past they've really shied away from one another, now that they're fusing it, oh, it's even more complicated because the interaction between the two, you really got to know your stuff before you play those combo characters. Absolutely. It's teaching new people to play. It's fun for them to learn the story, but complicated to learn how all the dice pulls work, how the different archetypes work. You can come over from D&D and be like, I want to play an elf fighter. And you can do that in Shadowrun. You just have to learn a lot of rules to do so. So it's, it's a good game if you have someone that knows how to play it, that can walk you through it. But just like if you go from D&D, you can go to Pathfinder, which is also a D20 system, but it runs differently than I would say, you know, fifth edition does. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, 
if we look at, you know, we talked about some games that are super simple mm. uh, by being diceless or near diceless. And then I think Shadowrun, Pathfinder, um, probably Hackmaster, Rich, you probably can speak to Hackmaster a little bit more than I can. But those are all more tactical, more complicated, because there's just more options for you when you go and make your character. There's more things that are going to come out of that system. Like going from 5th edition to Pathfinder, there's a whole lot more to deal with, I think, mm-hmm. as a player. And Hackmaster just embraced the use of dice, the use of charts, the use of sheets of paper to keep records of every single thing that was going on to where, you know, when I was watching y'all's um, live Twitch stream with the character creation and how there was, uh, you know, another page and another page and another page, completely the same thing. And, you know, as we would go and play some L5R, oh, let's take some disadvantages. Let's add some advantages. All tied in, of course, around the fantasy setting. And then when it came to fighting, it was the first game that ever introduced me to the critical fail table. Hackmaster was? Oh, it was the first one I was introduced. It may have been out some other things, but Mm -hmm. it was the first one where I was introduced to, oh, a fail. Let's see how bad. And you start rolling on charts. And you know what? Even, um, you know, um, oh, Witcher kind of did a good job catching some of the charts, you know, with the way how the damage was applied and where it was applied. Um, They kind of captured the essence of hack. Well, they captured their deal, but Hackmaster had that same kind of feel that you could go to a chart and roll on a chart. So you had to have some D100s and D1000 percentiles. And, you know, I'm sure Larry could give us a schooling on Hackmaster. But I was part of the Red River um, Raiders. I was a card-carrying Hackmaster member for oh, wow. many years. So it was the only thing that kind of got me away from D&D for a little bit. And it had a great comedy angle to where the role-playing and the way you play your characters, there was a lot of jokes. There was a lot of uh, humor allowed. And so that also ties in with my irreverent attitude sometimes at the table. So I, I found it really good. And the GMs, you get a little too funny. They just send a rust mat after you or a rust monster after you to take your weapons and your armor. It had that happen maybe once or twice. Hackmaster was born from a comic book. Hackmaster was the RPG played within the comic book. And then what they ended up creating Hackmaster at a point in time where I believe, Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, where third edition D&D was coming out and people were not happy about that edition. So Hackmaster came out and was like, here's some old school type. And and you guys correct me if I'm wrong here. Third edition was the open source rules, correct? Yeah. It became the open source. Rules, and that's yes. what they worked on. I think they called it like Osiris or something. I remember it being like a, 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 a Egyptian god name, o- Osiris or something. And that is what they were based on. And then when they made that transition of closing out that open source rules and going to fourth, another version of Hackmaster came out. Mm. Oh, God, was that 2012, 2013? Sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, it was years ago. And that version lost, I believe, some of the luster that mm. the other version encapsulated, um, at least for me. Now, there's probably still a very stringent Hackmaster group, and God bless them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned the, uh, f- the, the critical failure tables mm. and then also the need to have a lot of humor at the table. Mm. I think that those two things are related. That, like, mm. when you mess up so bad and you're, like, two oh. or three tables deep into how bad it really got for your character, at some point you got to just laugh at it. 
yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So you end up with this kind of dark humor approach to your characters and the outcomes that they, uh, that they're faced with. Oh my God, Dave, you grabbed it. That is it. Cause I mean, just trying to keep your player alive through like two tournaments. That was a feat. It's like you show up to the third tournament with the same character and people are like, who the fuck do you pay? <laughs> How's your character alive? How yeah, are you, you level four? How'd yeah. you get to level four, bro? Yeah. I mean, cause no one can ever get past like level two. Take no actions. Just just be in the room. Yeah. No, I just I waited for all you chumps to do things. And... <laughs> but that's funny. It's like Hackmaster was born kind of from that AD and D the third edition area, whereas Pathfinder was born yeah. in that same like three point five D twenty open source as it oh, yeah. merged into fourth edition. Um, because Pathfinder, while it's com- very different now was taken from the 3.5 sort of rule set with D&D. Oh, oh, and let's go back and say Hackmaster was pleasantly complex. Mm. So I'm not going to say it was hardly, it was hard complex. It was pleasantly complex. I kind of heard Pathfinder became excruciatingly complex. (laughs) So, so yeah, when we talk to Vlad, uh, we have an episode in the, in the, in our back catalog where Vlad really lays out the history of Pathfinder in a really succinct way. Mm -hmm. And you're really, you're absolutely right here, Heather, that like whenever a D and D makes a step, there's always a pool of players that does not like that step. And they go and find another game that makes them happy. And so Mm -hmm. when D and D sixth edition happens, which I assume at some point in the future, that'll happen. There is totally going to be a spinoff fifth edition analog that some third party company is going to make. And all these fans of fifth edition are going to go, I don't know if sixth edition is for me, but this like, you know, Osiris game or whatever other analog, I think that's the one for me because it's, it it allows me to continue to play fifth edition the way I like. And Pathfinder was exactly that. Mm-hmm. Three five was crazy popular and there was a bunch of people who did not like fourth, so they all moved to Pathfinder. And it started off There was a fourth edition? Yeah. I know. It started right? off a bit more complicated than three five. You know, they added in a couple of things, some homebrew stuff. But then as they added more and more books, they kind of fell into the palladium trap, which we should also talk about. Oh. Where every book has all new classes and yep. subclasses and feats. And you, if you start combining three or four books with the stuff, you can make some really crazy powerful stuff. Okay. While you're in college or while you're in high school, that's a great trap to be in. Totally. So if you're listening to this and you're oh, like, yeah. I love this. I have all this extra free time. That is the time to go down like the Palladium, you know, can we can we call it a R hole for yeah. like rules hole? It's, no, it's a meta. I mean, you're just playing the meta. You're Oh, optimizing. Or yeah. or um it, people have different stuff on this, mm-hmm. but there's there's a there's like a sense that people want to optimize their character and then there's another sense that they want to min-max their character. That one. That was what I was and, looking for, min-max. And, and, yeah. and people will fight you tooth and nail that, no, I'm optimizing, I'm not min-maxing, or yes, those two are the same, or mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to build in purposeful um, disadvantages to my character just so I can be quote-unquote role-play-y, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff going on yeah. there, but... I remember Cody was saying, or Cody Pondsmith was saying his wife is like a Pathfinder min-maxer goddess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I mean, if, with, when you sit down and read all the rules end to end, that's what you get out of the deal. What I found with Pathfinder, though, is there's a great app. 
Um, it's many games, but I used this for Pathfinder um, Hero Labs, mm-hmm. which you can, it's third party, but you can purchase the source books through that. Don't shake your head at me. If you um, have to buy an app. I, it's frustrating. I don't know. I was that is a complexity problem. Well, it is right. Like in order to do what David was saying and use all these feats and skills and classes and races from all these different books that Paizo has now put out, you almost have to have yes something for that. And in our or- Pathfinder friends have said that too. I agree. Yeah, that, that it's pretty common that they just do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I would I would add to this that. Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I'm in the beta test, I've been playing a couple of sessions so far, and it continues the trend. Does it? Oh, you feel it. Yeah, like, okay, so 5th Edition, like, let's take the example of feats, Mm -hmm. right? 3-5 had tons of feats, every class got feats, you started with feats, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it was part of, it was part of Every three levels, whatever it was, yeah. Yeah. 5th Edition, feats are totally optional. You could have a, you could have a 20th level character and not have a single feat, and you would be fine. You might not be fully optimized, but you would be fine. You don't have to go for feats. Pathfinder, obviously, first edition Pathfinder had feats just like 3.5 did. But Pathfinder, second edition, oh man, the thing is off the rails when it comes to feats. You pick a race, that race comes with a number of race feats that you have to select. And as you level up, there are higher and higher level race feats. Wow. Your class has class feats. All of those get other feats. I didn't, at least in the in the playtest, I'm not seeing a lot of multi-classing. What I'm seeing is feat-based multi-classing. Oh. That pick, as, pick the uh, feat of the other class that you right. can now train in yes. to get a little bit of that specialization. Yes. So, like, as a wizard, if I wanted a little bit of fighter, one of my feats could be spent on giving me access to other fighter feats and at the same time giving me like a bonus to something or yeah. another or proficiency. Back in AD&D another. you had to enter into a romantic tryst. <laughs> no you didn't. <laughs> what? To for what? the wizard to get a little fighter? Oh. <laughs> Dang. No dude, um Morden Kanan, he's a he's a he's a he's a wizard fighter combo. Not at my table. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's right. That's that right. seems odd to me um i don't know because i'm so used to pathfinder first edition sure. just like i was used to D 3.5 sure um when fifth edition came out i was like screw that i don't that doesn't seem easy at all and and that was when i was playing pathfinder and now it's the go-to game for everybody to get into rpgs i know and i went backwards when they, when they went fourth edition, bailed, sure. well, yeah, and never came back. I just I, I I went down into my K hole and went back <laughs> to AD and D, and then yeah. I I just played around in that that area. I just felt comfortable and happy in there, and you know everything was good. Now anybody who's starting in fifth edition, if you go back and look at second edition, oh, oh man, kids, Thaco. Put, put your mm-hmm. I mean, really like get yourself a glass of wine. And really like hunker down for a long night of scratching your head. Because mm-hmm. second edition, for guys who grew up in second edition, totally makes all the sense in the world. But if you're coming to it from a D20 sense or a or a fifth edition sense, and you go back and look at that stuff, it's like, wow, this is way harder to like know what's gonna happen. 
I was so confused when we played D&D at Gen Con on Sunday. Now, I know that oh, that, the, was, uh, the Tower that was incredibly oh, screwy. Yeah. That was AD&D, but, though, with But Franco. I've never, I haven't played that system in so, so long. Yeah. And I think I only played two or three games of that system. I was so lost. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if I had started in AD&D, I'd probably be a lot like Rich in that, you know, had went back there when fourth edition came out, but I had only played two or three games when third edition came out. You know, I kind of like what you touched on too, Hmm. that it was, you were rolling die to attack. And then as Dave's talking about, it was a little bit more of a mystery. It wasn't like everybody at the table figured out 15. Right. Or everybody at the table figured out 11. We got to roll over 11 guys. Right. It, It is everyone's rolling their own numbers and and Heather's like, I don't know, I'm just rolling. Did I hit? Yep. Right. <laughs> that was right. pretty yeah. much it. <laughs> okay, okay, back to the back to the ratings. We went uber complicated with Pathfinder, you know, first edition. And we yeah. think maybe that's where it's going in second. Yeah, I think second and... is gonna be like second edition, if you want to make an optimized character, you have a lot of reading ahead of you. Because you need to read all of the feats for your race, your class. If you're going to try and multi-class, you need to go through all of that stuff to figure out what is my 20th level character going to look like and how do I build backwards to that. And did AD&D bell curve? Did AD&D kind of go up with second? You know, AD&D's here. Second got more complex. Yep. 3-5 we know didn't. And it went down in the complexity. I don't know fourth, so we're all just going to pretend like it did something. And where did fifth end up? Well, I would argue, I'm, I'm, I'm going to argue that for, in a certain way, third edition was kind of more complicated because there was an addition of different stats and rules that I don't remember from second edition, mm. but I could be crazy. But it, I mean, there were things that did simplify. AC simplified out, right? Yep. Um, I, don't, I think you got down to like the D20 only, right? I think, yeah, the core system, the core system between second and third, third is simpler. Mm. But with third, because they introduced feats, every class now had magic effects. They, every every player had little special rules that only they had. Okay. You know, like, I, I have this feat that lets me do this thing. In the past, second edition D&D, Fighter had like two things they cared about, and that was it. Mm. And the magic user had all these spells and stuff to keep track of, but the fighter and rogue, they had very simple builds, you know, they were, they, they didn't grow much. Whereas in three, three, five, there was so much growth for the rogue and for the fighter that like, you know, different fighters could be built very differently in three, five, and you just didn't get that in second. You know, it's very interesting that you put it that specific way that, cause a lot of the time when I hear fourth edition discussed, they say, well, no, now fighters were given abilities or spell-like things that they could do, or that's how the different classes were. That is actually, it's really interesting to me because that's how I saw fourth edition was, oh, well, now the fighter gets like a spell thing that he can do once per day or two times per day or whatever. Yeah, because the the fighter is never going to just swing the sword. They're always Mm going to do their sudden strike or their whatever. Mm -hmm. And it really... Fourth edition, 
so like overbalanced everything that like rogues and wizards were the same thing. Oh. Mm. You know, like that was that was fourth edition's trapping is that they were really jumping onto the bandwagon of balance, balance, balance. And I don't think that players actually want balance. I think players want We want three five OP or three OP that three five tried to tone down. You know, I think that yeah, I think that players want the sense that their character is crazy good at something. Yeah. They don't need to be crazy good at everything, and um, but they want to be really good at something. You know, that's the reason why clerics are pigeonholed as healers and fighters are pigeonholed as frontline, because it's really easy to make those classes very good at those things. Mm-hmm. And I think that with 4th edition, they lost that. I think with 4th edition, they said, we're going to allow all these classes to be very similar yeah. and, and not have a lot of distinction. And that's what it felt like. And then 5th edition, I do think, kind of flipped that. They made it easier to play and get into, much easier to understand the rules, and as little math as possible, which I think really does help the game set, um, in that you don't have to take away two or add four or whatever for different modifiers, especially when you're trying to get someone new into the game. All you have to do is roll d20, add this bonus. That's it. Right. And that proficiency... Say again? You got, or or the uh, the advantage disadvantage side of things, you know. Right, roll once like, or twice, yeah. Yep, and and I think that like as people say, okay, cool. Now I want to know if I if I want less system, I know some some paths for myself. I can go to uh, system light things like dread or uh, fate. We should probably talk about fate in mm-hmm. some of the universal systems where you know there's a combat system, sure, but there's less rules there's less stuff to worry about and then if i want more crunch i can go hackmaster for lots of tables if i like tables or i can go to <laughs> pathfinder or pathfinder 2 if i really want like to really be able to figure out really interesting builds that you know progress every level and i can be very different in the way i progress um from character to character a lot of customization you know that's that's I think that's what those systems provide is a lot of a lot of that kind of customization. Right. That's just my take on it. No, I think I agree with that. There's just it's such a big pool out there now to on what to pick from, even just in this one genre alone. It's just and I think a lot of people stick with what they've found first. I mean, Rich Rich wants to play second. I'm still running a three five game. Like I'm three still five, not th- Pathfinder? I'm running a 3-5 freaking Greyhawk setting because that's what I got started in. And that's just me. And yeah, absolutely. Like everybody, I mean, you're running a Shadowrun game, right? Because that's your like, that's your first love. Oh, and you talk um, about Greyhawk. You could get into a whole supplemental talk about fantasy games and complexity. That's we a should, good point. Yeah, Ooh, Greyhawk should, adds yeah. so much. We should do a separate one about settings. Because there's yeah. so much to unpack with just D&D. D&D. Set. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's way too much to unpack there. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like, you, what you started with is kind of what you love. And you'll probably always come back to it. Yeah, I, I have good thoughts about 3.5 and Pathfinder. Um, and I would play it. I would continue to play it probably. I understand that rule set really well, but nowadays I'm leaning towards fifth edition. Sure. If I'm playing actual fantasy and 
I'm probably going to play fifth. It's just easier. I keep harping on that, but it's easier to get people into. And even if like I have old people that used to play D&D coming back, it's not the same rule set, but it has bits and pieces. If I had a group of people like, say, you, David, and Kelly that wanted to play Pathfinder, I'd totally down for that. I just don't think I could bring it to new people, like a new group of players. You know, I guess I'm so used to it. I'm very used to training people on how to play. Mm. I, so I, I'm okay with it. Two of my players are brand new. Well, oh, yeah. we've been playing for two years now, but when they started, they were brand new. <laughs> and we and I actually started them. And they were young people, and now they're old people. This <laughs> yeah. game goes well, on so you know, long. I, here's what's crazy is I started them on 5th edition, and they were like, eh, I want more class customization. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, if you want more class customization, that's Pathfinder or, or 3.5. And I was like, the, and here's the reason why I went 3.5 is because Pathfinder had already had so many books and I'm the sort of GM's like, look, whatever book you can find, you can use it. I don't care. Yeah. And so Pathfinder <laughs> had so many books. I was like, guys, this is going to be too much. Let's go three, five. And, you know, here, let me hand you some books that I've already got and just mm-hmm. run with it. And not that they're all on PDF online, but yes. You know, now that Morning Caden, or not Morning Canaan's, Xanthar's Guide to Everything that has more, more yeah. class paths I think that you can now get more of that customization that people wanted or that my players wanted. Um, you just can wasn't available to us back then. Yeah. Vanilla 5e doesn't, it has what's in, in the book and that's about it. And if you're coming over from Pathfinder, like I was, it doesn't have nearly what Pathfinder did in the way of uh, customization. Gosh, does it feel like basic? You know, you remember yes. the basic in the expert books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it just, I mean, you have your classes and you play. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think that a lot of, I've heard a lot of second edition people say, I like fifth because it feels like basic. You know, Ooh. it's very straightforward. There's no item creation. There's very few magic items. You know, you just, it, it's very, it's very trimmed down. And I think that like Pathfinder and Hackmaster and all these more crunchy systems in um, Witcher is the same way. I mean, Witcher's core book comes with beasts comes with bad guys, good guys, comes with item creation, comes with all this stuff that it took D&D 5th edition six books to get to, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's because those other systems wanted to give players all this pathway to customization, whereas in 5th edition said, nope, we're going to trim everybody down, yeah. and you're just going to sit down and start playing. And you're not going to worry about if your character is going to become an artificer or an alchemist or whatever. Yeah. Like, you're going to just... You're just going to roll some dice. That really sounds like basic. I mean, that's, you know, I've been busting out the red book lately, getting mm-hmm. ready to uh, run a group. And that really just, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go and it has more classes than basic did or AD&D did. Because right. um, I think. More races. More races. And then the thing about fifth edition, it's limiting, especially if you're like coming from other games. It feels limiting. I do not like the magic thing, to be honest, the magic items thing. But that's because I came from Pathfinder. Yeah. I have a whole fucking book over here that's called, sorry. I have a whole book over here that's called. Can't take her anywhere. I know, right? Ultimate Equipment. It's yeah. like an inch yeah. and a half thick. All it yeah. has in it is magic items. Yeah. And that doesn't exist in 5th edition. I, you know, look, I, are you a, kidding me? I don't even want to play 5th edition. There, here's, here's there the are thing. magic like, items. There's, it's a, there's and I will three. Say, 
there's a sword, a, yeah. a wand, and a there, shield. There's a there is a really cool moment for anybody who's played a ton of fifth edition. Awesome, but there is this really cool moment when your players watch the GM or DM. My apologies, the DM pull Thank out you. the magic item compendium. Yeah, or the, buddy, you know, roll for it. The big book o items, and they say, "Cool, you get." Yeah. And the player's like, ooh, this is going to be good. Ooh, this is going to be good. You get to roll it up, like, oh, roll yeah. out the dice. Do you guys remember back, I think they're AD&D books, they were like red, blue, green. They were just magic item and spell tomes from AD&D. Second edition? Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, totally. Oh, yeah. I just had those just to just flip through for magic items mm-hmm. just to look at. Yeah. Just so as cool. a resource. I know. Oh, yeah. Did did anybody ever play uh, Tunnels and Trolls or the Middle Earth role playing game? I've not I played didn't. either of those two. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Just curious. Middle Earth's always been around since I was in uh, high school. Which, by God, that was a long time ago. What was it and like before color? It was. I mean, everything <laughs> was in stone. We had to carry around stone tablets. It was really terrible. And um, you're just making fun because I can't see color. I'm going to cry later tonight. <laughs> what? That was not an. Oh shoot! I why? Why do you gotta? Why do you gotta make me hurt so bad? Why? That was actually a shout out joke to our friend Barry, and I forgot I know. that Rich I'm was kidding. colorblind. I'm kidding. I'm joking. That was a joke. Uh, I know you didn't mean anything. Um, Sorry. But it was more fun to you know no, yeah, make you know. turn red. Make you turn red. It was more. It was worth it. Um, but the Middle Earth's been around forever, and I've never played it. It's all based on you know Tolkien and his whole universe. Um, and then Tunnel and Trolls, I've I've dipped into and I've played their solo stuff, and they have a nice level of complexity that really appeases the second edition of me. Really, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's like ooh, there's a little bit going on here. I gotta really do this. I gotta really do that. Yeah, a um, little bit of tactical awareness. You really need it in order to be good. And you die. Oh, because yeah. of the way the roles, you know, are so <laughs> dependent. You just die sometimes and you're like, budge. Yeah. Can you know, get... that's actually something we should probably talk about. Lethality of these systems. <laughs> oh, I was thinking, can we get like a, we should get a riches ranking of most lethal system. <laughs> yeah. Lethal which role. ones I like to kill the people in the most. Oh my gosh. Because yeah. um, I think in second edition, if you get poisoned, you die, right? Oh yeah. Oh, that's AD&D. We were, that's what we were playing. And you guys made all your poison rolls. That's when we were playing at Gen Con. I had like four poison traps. One of you got shot with a ballista and you lived. Yes. 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 Yeah, that's how lethal it was. One die roll, dead. And Hackmaster was that way. Yeah. Right. I right. feel like Pathfinder, you could really stave off death. Like, yeah. you, you really, really could. If, um, if a bad guy got a crit at the wrong time, in 3-5 and Pathfinder 1, you just died. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you were fine. Yeah. Um, the more magic e? items you got, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pathfinder 2E, they're they're doing the death steps just like 3.5. Or uh, not 3.5, just like 5th edition. So you don't you can't go straight into your grave from standing to in grave with Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. You have to oh. death level one, you may you fail a roll, death level two, you fail another roll, death level. You have know. they never seen that thing where the safe falls out of the window on the guy yeah. on the sidewalk? And <laughs> the coyote know. runs away? That's not how it is. No. Well, Pathfinder first edition was every. Was it like you have to get to your negative, your negative con? Your negative hit points. Or your negative hit points, and I think, or maybe it is your con. But either way, it's but, so hard like to a, get there. A really good crit <laughs> could do it. 
A really good yeah. crit could do it. And three and three five was just negative ten hit points. I mean, you could that, die okay. pretty yeah. easy in three five. In second edition, I think you just get to zero, right? Rich. Like if Rich, if you're at if you're at zero hit points in second edition, you're just dead. I think no, I think at second maybe they did have a con adjustment. Okay. Basically you're plus and A D and D was the dead one. Yeah. So that first edition, but I think second did play around with giving you an extra second or two to, to come into the game. And, and in Witcher, you get so many, you take so much damage and you start making death saves. Like your yeah. character's up and is doing stuff, but at any minute, if they fail their save, they just die That's right. because they're in their, their bodies going into shock. Mm-hmm. Which is really a neat system. Um, and Hackmaster, I don't really remember. I think they had a con adjustment too, but you just died. I mean, right, it yeah, was, it was, was things were so chart. lethal, you just died, <laughs> um, which is ridiculous, which is ridiculously good. I, I, think that, I think that if you want a more tactical game, there's lots of options out there. And if you want, a, if you want one that's even more story-driven than Fifth, there's lots of options out there. Yeah. So can we generically say complexity has left the die roll slash charts, tables. I have 15 different types of layers of armor. Complexity has left that area and gone to character creation. Yeah. People can create their own monstrosity of a 15th level bardic <laughs> druid paladin. You yeah. keep adding classes onto that and I have questions. <laughs> From what David is saying about Pathfinder 2E... It sounds like that's the case. Yeah. But I don't... That complexity is not there in 5e. Mm. Not as much. That's right. It sounds like it's just dumbed down all the way around. Because you... Well, you... What happens in 5e is you get through the first three levels, or the first two, two levels. Two or three. Mm -hmm. And then on the third level, you pick your path. And that mm -hmm. says, all right, I'm this class with this extra... I'm on a certain path that my class has available to it. Right. And that gives you all these abilities and all this kind of stuff. It really shapes up what you're going to look like in later on levels. But once you pick it, you're done. You can go in multi-class, but you can't like switch, swap back and forth between different paths. Wouldn't you say, would you say in Pathfinder, it was kind of like prestiging to going into a prestige class, at like level seven. So ah, I miss prestige classes. Um, <laughs> Prestige classes is a Pathfinder thing. Yeah. See how good the old stuff is. Yeah, so I would say that it yeah, what it does is it really focuses your your class and, mm -hmm. and does open up some interesting options. Like the the sorcerer has a path where they get tons of hit points. So the trope of the sorcerer is super easy to kill. In fifth edition, my sorcerer would be the toughest one in there because he'd have the most hit points. Mm -hmm. Because there's a dragon dragon line where they get a ton of hit points as part of the class makeup. And that's cool. Like it, what it does, what fifth edition is really well is they make it so that as your character progresses, the class itself gives benefits to the character. Mm -hmm. Whereas in three, five and pathfinder and even pathfinder two, it's not so much about the class as it is about all the feats that you pick along the way. Right. In those mm -hmm. other systems, you're picking feats and, other people also have access to your feats, so there's a way to get kind of muddy in there and not have a lot of distinction. Or you can really like pick a very specific feat path and get tons of distinction. It's all up to the player which feats they're going to pick up and which ones they're going to leave leave by the wayside. You're just giving me anxiety talking about 
all of that, all these feats. <laughs> it's a lot of feats. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not, I'm, I'm like, not, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's a lot of feats. Do you know what I loved about Pathfinder was I could play that goblin chucker guy. Oh yeah, yeah. and I could mm-hmm. throw bombs, and I was like, "This is my class." Yeah, the goblin alchemist is pretty. That's solid. it, goblin alchemist. That's what I want. Yeah. Those are really good modules. The yeah. goblin modules. Really yeah, well, and honestly. Pathfinder's storytelling is crazy good. Yeah, I know. I had fun playing their their pre-gen and their yeah. little pre-modules. We had a yeah. great time. I think we did a pretty fair job of saying, look, if you're starting with D&D 5th edition mm-hmm. and you want something that is more crunch or less crunch or sci-fi or not sci-fi, there's different games and settings for that. I think mm-hmm. we need to have a separate episode about settings because there's yeah. so yes. many cool settings out there. That'll give you some really cool stuff and stay within the D and D system if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, D twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or branch out even further. I think we've accomplished the goal of saying, all right, you're starting with D and D, and here's some other ways you can go if your players want something a little different. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone at home, I want to give Heather a chance to talk about all the ways that you can find her on social media and all the different things you're involved in. I am at Katrina K R A T R I N A on all the internet things. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. You have a blog and Twitter, of course, and you're all, you're all over it. So yep. uh, definitely look her up. We're going to link to it, of course, in the show notes and everyone else have fun and play well. May all your roles be grits. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. All right. <clears throat> I am ready. Are you guys ready? <clears throat> Drinks. I cleared my throat there. <clears throat> yeah, I heard that. Yeah, get right into the mic. We appreciate it. <laughs> you sound like a bear. <laughs> like a bear. There's a bear under my desk. That's what all the boys call me. <laughs> <laughs> get it? Yes, queen. <laughs> Please keep this in the edit. Thank you. I will. Have you guys seen the subreddit Suddenly Gay? No. <laughs> no, but I know where I'm going for the rest of this episode. <laughs> we have lost Rich. <laughs> <laughs>